Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today is Daryl Cook. Daryl is a recent graduate of Beeson Divinity School. He's one of these students who sort of came to seminary, you might say, midstream in his life. He has a long and full and wonderful career in management and also in, in missionary service. Uh, but he came to Beeson School and graduated just last December. And we're going to be uh, talking about something that happened to him and his ministry very recently, very traumatic, and yet what an opportunity to see the grace of God at work. So, Daryl, welcome to the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Now, if we, let's just begin by telling us about your own life leading up to coming to Beeson. Did I get it more or less right in my introductory comments? I think you did. I wouldn't correct anything. I would say that God has been good to me. Uh, let's just say that I got my Medicare card a few years ago, so I'm not a young man. <laughs> But over the years, my passion has been serving in the local church. I have a wonderful wife, three adult daughters. We have grandchildren. And so that somewhat uh, gives you a position of where we are in life. But over the years, my passion was serving in the local church for maybe three decades. And my wife and I would sit in a Sunday school class, and we like to be with young adults. I, I like to talk to people when they're still at the decision-making points. They're newlyweds, or they're just going into graduate school, or just starting a career, or just having the first baby. Uh, maybe that was selfish, but I like to have an opportunity to influence them uh, when I thought they might be open to that sort of thing. So that pretty well describes 40 years of life, during which time the Lord let us make a living by working in the business world in management slots. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned your wife, Elaine, because she was often with you in chapel and coming. She, I don't know if she took a degree, but she could have because <laughs> she took a lot of stuff uh, at Beeson during your time here. Would you let me put in a plug for chapel? Because we are involved in our local church on Sunday, we have made Tuesdays at 11 o'clock a standing date. Mm. Both while I was a student and even after I finished classes, we would meet. We had our own seat. Now, you know when you have your own seat in church and you're not there, yeah. it's obvious that you're absent. But we <laughs> took that risk. It was a meaningful opportunity for us to sit and worship together and be fed, really to prepare us for going out the next Sunday and leading worship. I'm so glad you mentioned that. You know, uh, those who've been to Beeson Divinity School will know that our beautiful Hodges Chapel is in the very heart of our building complex. And so I've often said that's symbolic of the fact that the worship of God is at the heart of our life and the heart of our mission as a school. And the fact that you and Elaine were so faithful. You mentioned the fact that, you know, you're a little bit older in life. You're actually not by any means the oldest student we've ever had. We've had people maybe a decade or more older than you enroll. Uh, but uh, you're on that side of life where you've garnered some experience, and you obviously have this great gift of being a mentor to other younger folk coming along, not just in uh, uh, things of church life, but also in, in personal life. And I think God has used you in a wonderful way, and I'm so grateful to have people like you 
uh, who respond to God's call and come bring that experience to Beeson uh, Community School. If you would let me quickly express, when I started the Beeson in the fall of 2009, I had three rather specific prayer requests. My prayer request number one was, Lord, let me study your word under godly professors who are competent to teach your word. And I can say unequivocally, he answered that prayer. Number two, I said, Lord, would you use Beeson as a conduit to introduce me to some local ministry where I can serve while I'm studying? And as we'll talk about later on, Dogwood Grove was a specific answer to that prayer uh, within one year after I had started my studies. Now, the third specific prayer request was, Lord, if you would let me have some impact on some younger students. And I'm not the one to evaluate whether that's happened, but I certainly have enjoyed being part of the process during this time. Well, it certainly has happened, and our students hold you in great esteem and love, actually, uh, for your investment, your and Elaine's investment in their life. Now, you mentioned your church, and I want to get to that right now, Dogwood Grove Baptist Church. Tell us about that church and how you came to be its pastor. Dogwood Grove Missionary Baptist Church is what it says on the sign, and I always say it's at Adger, Alabama. It's tucked away. It's tucked away in what we call West Jefferson. That's almost a neglected, if not forgotten, part of our county. It's 35 minutes from our house in, in Hoover, but it's a, a world that many of us in Hoover and Homewood and Mountain Brook don't really know, but it's populated with some godly people and about 20 Baptist churches. Uh, let me stay on track. The first year I was at Beeson, I met Grant Taylor, and I told Grant of my desire to be serving. What I didn't realize was that uh, the next time I would see him, he would be a teaching assistant in Dr. Paul House's class. So what that means is, while I'm sitting under Dr. House and his teaching, Grant is grading my homework every week, okay? <laughs> mm -hmm. So what I didn't realize was that Grant was on his way to do further studies at the Southeastern Theological Seminary, and Grant suggested, he said, Darrell, you might really ought to put your name in to serve as pastor out at Dogwood Grove. Well, I didn't exactly move quickly, but what I found, it was in just a few days, Dr. House walked up to me, and you know, he's a, a wonderful, godly, kind man, but when he sort of leans on your shoulder, you listen very <laughs> carefully. He's a tall fellow, too. <laughs> he is. So he says, Darrell, I really think you ought to consider uh, submitting your name. Well, in the, in the Lord's timing and his providence, uh, he called uh, me, us, Elaine, to be the pastor at Dogwood Grove Baptist Church. Mm. Let me say one thing about what I inherited, if I may put it that way. I think yeah. that's the right yeah. word. It's something like tilling a garden that has been beautifully tilled for a dozen years. I say that mm -hmm. to say that in a dozen years before I was there, my dear friend, Dr. Jerry Batson served for 11 or 12 years. For the next two or three years, Grant Taylor and our beloved friend Jim Pounds served jointly. And I was the beneficiary of all of their work in that wonderful garden. And all these people you've mentioned, of course, uh, are, are deeply connected to Beeson and its work over the years. Dr. Batson, Jerry Batson, was our associate dean for academics for a number of years. Uh, uh, Jim Pounds is uh, currently working in administration and financial oversight uh, of, of and Grant Taylor 
was uh, also on staff as well as being a graduate of our school. So you you are in a worthy line of apostolic succession. And I appreciate that, and I trust that I will uh, continue to, to carry the torch in an appropriate, godly manner. Now, how old is Dogwood Grove? Tell us just a little bit about the earlier history of the church. Dogwood Grove is about 90 years old, and I should tell you that when you go to Adger, Alabama, you go two miles past Adger, and you turn up a paved road, and when you turn up that road, it says, No Outlet. What no that outlet. means is, <laughs> that means if you come out of Dogwood Grove, you'll come out on this road. What that says, uh, it, it, Dogwood Grove is a community. And right, mm-hmm. at, right at the top of the hill is Dogwood Grove Baptist Church. It is the church community for people that never go to church, but when they have a death or their children need school supplies or they have even a food need, our church is there. And that's been its reputation for some 90 years, and we're thankful for that. You know, we hear a lot today about uh, the urban context of ministry, and, and there's no doubt that throughout the world, large cities contain more and more percentage of the world's population. But there are still these communities, and Dogwood Grove is one of them, that has a more traditional cast in a way, uh, and where the church still has a kind of centering focus in the life of the community. And this is the church where you were called to serve. Now, tell us what happened at Dogwood Grove Baptist Church on November the 7th. On November 7th, that was a Thursday, about 3 o'clock in the morning, word went out that there was a fire. Nobody understands why or what happened, but on the evening before, if you know about Baptist churches, you know that on Wednesday evening you either meet... Some people talk about missions, and down the hall, some people are doing Bible studies. When they leave, then the folks go to choir practice. Well, about 9 o'clock after the doors were locked and the choir members had gone home, for, for no known reason, at some point, the church was engulfed in flames. The local volunteer fire department responded quickly. The church completely burned to the ground, and the brick walls crumbled until the flames went out uh, about 9 or 10 o'clock on the morning of November 7th. How did you find out about the fire? I had a call from my deacon friend, Brother Wayne. He called me at 5 o'clock, and and he simply said the church is burned. So within a couple of hours, I was out there with uh, the other members, and we watched the thing burn down. By that time, there were TV crews and fire people and it was a, a quite interesting time that certainly none of us had ever experienced before. Now, I want to come back to, to, to the response to this uh, tragedy in the life of your church and, and your own ministry in the midst of it. But before we get to that, uh, you know, church burnings are fairly, uh, unfortunately, common these days in many places in the country, including Alabama. There have been churches, both white churches and African-American churches, and, and you might say blended churches, uh, that have been burned. Some of these uh, are the result of crime. We, we hope not hate crimes, but uh, there have been several trials related to that. So but at this point, you and the investigators don't have any idea of the origin, the nature, the persons responsible for this fire. The short answer is that is absolutely correct. I will tell you that within 24 hours, the the deputy fire marshal from the state was out there, and by that time I had headed back home. And just before I got back to my little subdivision, I got a call from the fellow, and he said, I really think you need to come back out here. So naturally I did. 
but as a result of two days of thorough investigation by their competent teams. As recently as two weeks ago, he called and he said, we have written on our file, inconclusive. There's no reason for them to believe that it was arson. The file is still open, but thankfully, although we may not ever know the cause, the good news is that our insurance, what the coverage is, is not predicated on the cause of the fire. So we're thankful for that. That's very good. Now, November 7 was a Thursday. Yes, sir. And so you're between the Wednesday night meeting you just talked about and the Sunday service that is coming up in a couple of days on November the 7th. What was going through your mind as the pastor of this church in the wake of this uh, tragedy that has happened? Let me say two or three things. First of all, I recognize that there are people that have been in that church for 70 and 75 years. I'd been out there three years. So in no way could I empathize or even start to comprehend what was going on in their minds. So on the one hand, we could say, well, it's business as usual. The church is burned, but things will continue. But in reality, it's not business as usual. I sat in Dr. Webster's preaching class a couple of years ago, and one of the things that he insisted was that you respond appropriately when there's a tragedy. Whether it's a tsunami around the world or an earthquake uh, on another continent or a crisis in your community, you're not really doing your job if you don't address that issue. So we were having a good study. I thought, going through Genesis, but I realized this is not a Sunday to do the next chapter in Genesis. Yeah. So what did you do? Well, (laughs) here's where the Beeson community came into play. Almost immediately, your assistant had contacted me and made you aware, and she put out the word to our Beeson friends. And and see, by that time, I had spent my four years and completed the degree work at, at Beeson, and thankfully, have some wonderful relationships with many professors on a personal basis. Almost immediately, I began to have professors call me at home. Some of them would would call and and they would pray. But I had a particular response from Dr. Webster who said, have you considered uh, 1 Peter chapter 2? Now let me remind our listeners, if they may not know, that talks about the church is made up of living stones, and Christ Mm -hmm. is the chief cornerstone. And so I took that, and I I went with that. In the meantime, I had a a call, a contact from uh, another professor, Dr. Gentilette. He said, Darrell, a few years ago I learned in conversation that Psalm 73 is one of your favorite psalms. He said, let me point you to verse 25. And verses 25 and 26 remind us of our complete dependence upon God, His steadfast uh, presence. And so to make a long story short, I began to take those thoughts and those verses and build a sermon for Sunday morning. And in a minute, I'll give you those four points very quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, what, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you answered that way. One of the things that shows, and it just is such an encouragement to me, is that this is the kind of faculty we have, people who are not only really expert in what they teach, who are well-published and great teachers in the classroom, but who also really care and are deeply involved in the lives of their students. Now, obviously, this was a, a tragic moment for you, but I think, and I think it is true, that the, the experience you had with those faculty members you mentioned is not atypical 
of the Beeson faculty and their relationship to our students. That's certainly my observation. Now tell us about your sermon, the four points. Well, okay, maybe a sermon should have three, but that morning it had four. It seemed to have some symmetry that I wanted. First of all, I said God's Word is constant. And you know, it's not hard to find a lot of texts that will convince us of that. And then I said, Christ's church will prevail. Mm. By the way, Jesus himself assures us of that. Then I shifted gears a little bit and I said, the things that we see will certainly perish. Obviously, in that case, it was a a 50, 60-year-old brick building that was no longer standing. But the fourth thing is, the things which really last for eternity are those things that are not seen. And I took those statements and those texts and tried to flesh it out and hopefully uh, present that truth to our people on Sunday morning. Where did you meet? You didn't have a church to meet in. Well, God is good. Uh, We met at the, (laughs) this is ironic, at the volunteer fire department. Uh, Ah. (laughs) The same fire department that had responded to the call, what, three days earlier, said you're welcome to use our facilities. And we have a a meeting room that that accommodates our folk in in a quite adequate situation. We've been there for four weeks, and we have that place for the coming days as long as we need it. So thank God in Dogwood Grove, you don't have the separation of church and fire department. That's right. I typically tell people, I say, well, it's not really a government building. That's a volunteer fire department. I don't know to what extent I'm right. (laughs) Well, that's a wonderful story in itself, that there was this openness to receive you and the church in this context and and to share together in, you know, what was obviously a very difficult time as a folk gathered. Now, you've preached the sermon, the four points, which, by the way, are wonderful points. I mean, you could just develop a whole biblical theology out of those four points. What was the response? The most interesting response is, I cannot remember any person that was completely devastated. No, they were, they were attentive, and the response was what I'll call, I guess we say, a coming together, that here we are, mm-hmm. How do we move forward? And so we began to pray, and we made sure that we kept meeting at our appointed times, loving one another, and, and, and going forward. And I talked to my wife the other day. There was never a time when anybody stopped and said, hey, we need to vote about whether to rebuild. Maybe we yeah. should have. But, but, Dr. George, it was just assumed that, yes, we would pick up and go forward in God's providence with his provisions. Now, you know, when tragedy like this happens to a community or to a church, in your case, uh, there are wonderful organizations. Some of them are denominational ones and others in the community that come to lend support. Can you tell us a little bit about that in your case? Well, in our case, the, the, the most obvious thing was the fact that we are Southern Baptist, and the Alabama State Baptist Convention, with its headquarters in Montgomery, was responsive in a matter of hours. Mm. They have what they call disaster relief. And by the way, they go to, to, to any sort of place. The Red Cross acknowledges that without them, they would have difficulty feeding everybody sometimes. In our case, they stood with us within 48 hours, and the man who met with us said, we can provide for you a portable modular chapel so you can resume worship. On this site, I like to call it on top of the hill, which will let you clean up the damage, plan for the future, and transition to a different building. Wow. 
And is that in place now? Well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, sometimes when we uh, don't have to pray a lot, we don't pray a lot. That's not very profound, but we learned last week that the building that was to be shipped up here does not meet code. So yesterday, okay, so, you know, we could have said, oh, no, we need to start making calls and we need to start pulling strings, but I'm thankful that we didn't do that. And I said to our people, I said, I think this is a time for us to continue praying and to practice waiting in the meantime, use this opportunity to, to, to learn and to share with people what's going on. So what we've done is we're now waiting for the people at Montgomery to come up with another building, and they've agreed to be our contact people with the authorities because certainly we want a building that, that meets code. And I said to our people, maybe that first building was just not the right building. So let's see what God has next. Great. Now, how can we be a partner you. What can we do for Dogwood Grove Baptist Church and for you, Daryl, in this time of ministry in the lurch, so to speak? Sometimes we hesitate to say, just pray. So I won't say, just pray. I'll say, please pray. Pray for the congregation, that those that are hurting would work through their hurt, that those that are in leadership roles would make wise decisions, that when we come to points where we have to Uh, make decisions that we would be unified. Uh, Continue to pray for logistics. We would really like to get into that modular building and then pray that we would have a vision for the future. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to build a building like the one that was built 60 years ago. At the same time, we don't know what the building needs to be for the next 60 years. So we need wisdom to build the appropriate facilities so that that will be both a preaching point and a ministry station for that community. Our friend Betsy Childs is with us, and I'm going to ask Betsy to say a prayer in just a moment before we close the podcast. But, Daryl, what's next for you? I mean, you might that's a strange question to be asking a person, A, who's just been through this crisis, but what do you think about the future? I think it's very interesting you ask that, because we all should be asking that. I'm committed to be at Dogwood Grove, as long as the Lord wants me. But I can tell you that part of my prayer is that he would bring along a younger man, perhaps with little children, to come in behind me at his time. And I would gladly hand over the torch. In the meantime, I want to be faithful. I think it's very important that right now my leadership role be clear. I want to be up close and walk with the people. I don't want to run ahead and leave them behind, and I certainly don't want to to motivate them to commit to something and then leave. So it's, as my friend Dr. Webster says, there there are always tensions. (laughs) So the tension is, how close do I get and and how assertive am I in leading? And I trust that the Lord will will give me that direction. Well, Darrell, you've just been a wonderful leader in a time of crisis in this beloved congregation. And may the Lord continue to bless and use you there. And Betsy, would you say a prayer for Daryl and for the church uh, as they face this future together? Yes, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you promised us that when we pass through the fire, you will be with us. And I thank you that Daryl and Dogwood Grove have experienced that. We pray that you would provide for them, provide a temporary building for them, and give them wisdom to know what they need for a permanent 
place to worship. I pray that your name would be lifted high in Dogwood Grove and that people would know that the church members are Christians by their love as they continue to reach out to their community and to trust you through this time of trial. Thank you for Daryl and his witness there, and we ask that you would continue to bless his ministry. In Christ's name. Thank you, Betsy, and thank you, Daryl, for this wonderful conversation. Thank you very kindly. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.